0: Welcome to the Taris Community Church Podcast. Enjoy today's episode. Who loves the unexpected nature of God? I just love the way that God doesn't think like us. In Isaiah 55 verse 8, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways. Are your ways are my ways. God thinks and acts. um, Totally different to how I expect him to think and act. And even in my late 50s, I am still constantly surprised by God. This year, I've been thinking about Paul when he was in um, Troas and he was wanting to go into Asia. He was wanting to take the gospel into Asia and, and the Spirit of God stopped him and said, no, you can't go there. And then he wanted to go to Bithynia, which is another part I understand in, in Turkey and, and the Spirit stopped him and said, no, you can't go there. And then he has this dream and in this dream, there's this man um, from which is north of Greece. And he's saying, come, 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 I need your help. And so Paul goes over to Macedonia and he gets to Macedonia. The only thing is he doesn't discover a man. He discovers a woman. Her name is Lydia. And Lydia and Paul planted the very first church in Europe. And the first church in Europe was planted by women for women. How unexpected was that? And who would have thought that God would do that? And I often think, I I just think God must have been like laughing you know he's kind of going I have to send a man so that I get your attention but then here's this female we're going to plant this church here talk about anti-culture of the day talk about anti you know just totally contrary to the culture in which he was living and acting and breathing in and this is our God and who would have thought that women back then maybe had more equality in terms of serving in the kingdom of God than what they do even here and now in this in this season of time. And this is the unexpected nature of our God. He thinks differently, he acts differently to what we expect. A few weeks ago, Jono was sharing about Matthew, the tax collector, and how Matthew, you know, he's sitting there, the equivalent of Matthew, in our day and age would be a drug dealer or a gang leader and here he is in the middle of a drug deal let's just put it that way and then Jesus is there in his face and I can just see him with this smile and this energy and this joy and this positivity and he just sort of looks at him and he says come follow me I mean you know how crazy is that and then by the end of the day or by the end of the week Here he is, he's sitting, Jesus is sitting, having a meal, not only with with Matthew, but with the gang, with with all of Matthew's uh, friends. I mean, who would have thought that the Son of God uh, would have invited himself into that space with a a drug dealer or a gang leader, the equivalent of... And then I think of the uh, woman, um, the Samaritan woman, and she's at the well, you know, she's had five husbands, And um, some of you, you know, you haven't had five, but you've had a few, so you can identify with the story. (laughs) And uh, you know how messy those stories can be and how complex they are. But here she is alone, she's isolated, she's talked about, she's vilified, she's judged, she's a whole heap of things. Here she is, and the Son of God shows up in her face and has this conversation with her. And just talks to her and gives her the gift of presence. And, and the result of that is, is she runs back to her village and she says, Come, come, come. You've got to meet this guy. He knows everything about me. He knows everything. And I mean everything. He knows everything. And he loves me. He loves me. Who would have thought that God could be so up close, personal, and present? This is the unexpected God that we get to love and to follow. And you know, before Jesus did anything, before he said anything, before he changed anything, the gift that he gave humanity was presence. He just simply showed up and he just loved. He was present. And this is kind of like a contrary thought, I think, to a thought that's, fairly dominant within our theology, within our, within our uh, Christian interpretation, I suppose, of who Jesus actually is. And it's this, I don't believe that sin separates us from God because I think that the life of Jesus Christ proves that whilst we were still sinners, he comes and he's up close and he's personal and he's present. God isn't separate. If I look from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, I find life after life. I find Adam and Eve in the middle of their sin. And who shows up? God. I find Jacob in the middle of his sin. And who shows up? God. I find Moses in the middle of his murder. Who shows up? God. David. David. Adultery and murder, who shows up? God. New Testament, let's look at them all. Matthew, James, John, Peter, Mary Magdalene. The names go on the list. Who shows up? God. Who showed up in your life when you were at your worst? God. But there's this concept and this idea that we have and our non-Christian culture out there believe it, that God isn't interested in me unless I clean up, unless I repent, and unless I toe the party line, that God isn't interested in me, and he's not going to show up for me. See, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. Jesus came to change our mind about who God was. He came to change... Our thinking about who God actually is, and He's gone to great lengths to show that He loves us, and He sees us, and He wants to be present to us. Zant writes, some 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 people think that. Um, Jesus sees people differently to God, that God is separated from us by our sin, but Jesus came to show that God loves the sinner but hates the sin, and that God can't draw close to us because of our sin. I actually don't think that's true, because Jesus is the living word. He is the living picture of God. He He is God walking out on earth. And Zan says this, he writes this, People have never seen God until they see Jesus. Every other portrait of God from whatever source is subordinate to the revelation of God given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word of God, the logos of God, the logic of God in the form of human flesh. Christians are to believe in the perfect, infallible, inerrant word of God and his name is Jesus. And when Jesus came, he embodied the God of the Old Testament. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit today embodies God the Father and Jesus in the way in which he operates on the planet Earth. And his surprise example was that everywhere he went, he saw real people. He saw underneath them. He saw who they really were. When he saw the demon-possessed men evil, Gentiles judged, Jews chosen, religious included, non-religious excluded, female subservient, foreigners rejected, king's authorities, poor unwanted and rich arrogant. In every single encounter he demonstrated that the good news is, is that God is radical and inclusive love that absolutely everyone is invited to the kingdom and he didn't wait for us to do something. He simply came close and began to show he is loving us full stop. I don't believe that Jesus drew the short straw when he came to earth. He uses the word son of man so many times. I actually think he was proud of his his humanity as well as the fact that he was the son of God because you've got that dichotomy that's happening there. But he was fully human and I think he was proud of that. And I think he was proud to sort of show that I think what he was trying to embody is, is that he's a, a, a child of God and that you can walk this, this earth, you can do life as a child of God. And I think he came and, and, and by being up front in front of everybody that we would consider or that society would consider disreputable or unworthy or whatever he was saying... I love and I see the real person underneath everything. I see the real person. And that's what I'm trying to minister to and love into. I often think of Jesus, you know, when he rose from the dead and, you know, he went in search of Peter. And, you know, Peter had betrayed him. Peter had, you know, the, the friendship in, in, from our um, viewpoint was broken. And yet Jesus goes to him and they have a hard conversation, but the whole idea is Jesus isn't put off by Peter's sin. He isn't put off, he isn't, he isn't upset by it, he isn't, it's not like he's gonna go, well, I'm gonna have nothing to do with Peter anymore because you know he sinned against me, therefore I don't want anything to do with him. He goes to Peter and he he woos him back and they they reform the relationship. I think if Judas hadn't suicided and who knows what happened on that other curtain when Jesus was dead, who knows what happened in that space. But I think even if Judas, if Judas hadn't suicided, I think that Jesus would have gone in search of him. and and been up close, front and personal, and tried to make the relationship right again. See, I don't think that God is threatened or upset by our sin. In actual fact, I think he draws close to us when we are sinning. See, Jesus' love is not just a sentimental emotion void of power. His love is a power that can transform and change us. His love can reveal all the junk, distortion, baggage, religion, mindset, racism and abuse. The disfigurement of our lives which we call sin and liberate us so that we can be truly who we are, we created to be a child of God. We are made to be a child of God and who we were always meant to be from the start. Now, sin is a problem. <laughs> it's a huge problem. It's, it's something that happens to us, and it's something that happens in us. And sometimes we have, we have weird beliefs. So, like, for example, at the moment, one of the weird beliefs that I think exists is, is that society is um, being degraded by the LGBTQ or the woke movement, I don't actually believe that that is true. If we want to look at sins that have impacted whole um, societies or communities or a sin that's impacting the world at the moment, I would say it would be greed. I would say that greed is far more damaging. At the moment, we have 8 million children wasting from famine, 49 million people across the planet who are starving. That's not LGBTQ. That's greed. And out of that will come violence and civil war and trafficking and a whole heap of things. If we look at the homeless issue here in Australia, for example, it's not LGBTQ that's causing people to be homeless. It's not LGBTQ that saw April in our congregation couch surfing with three kids for over four months. It was greed. How many of us have second houses, third houses, four houses and we've got them in a rental market and we're asking top dollar because we make a lot of money out of that. Or we've got them as Airbnbs and we get a lot of money out of that. You know, my friend uh, Kim, um, who heads up the Salvation Army here in Tassie, she said if Christians would just do ethical renting, the housing problem in Australia would be solved. See, greed is an issue. So, sin is an issue it 's something that happens to us, and it 's something that happens in us. But sin is not our identity. Sin is not who we are, and sometimes I think that we think that sin is our identity, that it is what what um, it, it forms who we actually are, but we aren 't that we are god 's children and the first thing he said in the Garden of Eden was. You are very good. Who made us? God. How did he make us? He made us very good. Sin can't separate us from God. Jesus proves this over and over again that he is not afraid of the sin in our life and that he can draw close to us. He says this in, uh, Paul says this in Romans he says for I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord Lord see sin is our enemy it's our collective enemy. And it's like a cancer. You know how cancer gets in and it, it fights your blood cells. You know, it, it fights against your own system and it causes your own system to go to war with one another. And that's what sin does. Sin is like this, this cancer that's on the inside of us and it fights against us. And one of the things that it wants to tell us is, is that you are separate from God. You are separate you're not worthy of God. How many non Christians have I heard say, I could never go to church, the roof would, roof would fall in? Or when we start engaging with some sin, we withdraw from community or we withdraw or we think that we're no longer worthwhile. You can talk to people from prison or um, our sex addicts or our drug addicts, and they will tell you over and over again, I'm not worthy of that stuff. I'm not good enough. God wouldn't be interested in the likes of me. That's sin lying, That's sin saying that God's not interested, that somehow we're separate from God because of what we do. God's not put off by the sin. He comes close to us. And the other thing is, is that in, in that lying space, the other lie that sin says is, is that you are alone. And so we hide our sin. How hard is it for us to have in this this congregation an honest conversation where we can put up a hand and say, hey, I'm Sharon and I'm a sinner and I have a problem with pride. Hi, I'm Sharon and I'm a sinner and I have a problem with anger. Or hi, Sharon, I'm a sinner and I have a problem with envy. Or hi, I'm Sharon and I have a problem with lust. Hi, I'm Sharon and I'm this... Because what sin says to us is is, is that we are alone and we are separate and we've got to keep all that stuff hidden and away in the dark um, because God doesn't like it. So we're separate and we're alone. Young writes this, God doesn't have a low view of humanity because God knows the truth about us. God is not fooled by all the lies we have told ourselves and each other. Jesus is the truth about who we are fully human fully alive deeper than all the hurt and broken bits and pieces is a very good creation and we were created in the image and likeness of God but we have become blind in the deceit darkness we believe it is time for us to stop agreeing with those devastating lies you see underneath all the pain or the shame or the guilt or the brokenness the darkest parts of us is something sacred is something good is something that's created in the image of God. And it's this that Jesus came to liberate us from. You see, when we say Jesus died for our sins within a message about how to escape this nasty old world and go to heaven, it means one thing. But when we say Jesus died for our sins within a message about God, the creator rescuing his creation from corruption, it means an entirely different thing. You see, in every story in scripture that I see, I see this amazing God who comes close, who actually wants to transform and change us, who wants to to deal with that cancer that's living in on the inside of us, get rid of it so that we can live proudly as a child of God who is made in the image and likeness of God. How heavy does sin feel? I often think of, um, you know, mums who've lost their kids because of addiction and pain. I think of men who keep hurting people that they love with their anger. I think of friends despairing with addiction. I think of friends who can't get out of bed because of depression and sickness that literally holds them down. I think of those of us that are carrying that exhausting burden of I'm not good enough. How on earth did I marry that guy? How on earth did I get in this situation? We carry shame and we carry guilt and it just goes on and on. And this is the impact of sin in our bodies, on our heart and on our soul and our life. And at times we allow sin to have the last word. And we've lost so much joy, so much love, so much time and hope by believing in sin. We've given sin a lot of emphasis. But you know, God's love is the first and it's the final word. It is what overcomes sin and it's what conquers it. See, love is a power that's greater than any other. That power says you are loved, you are made for love, made for love, made in love and by love. You are wanted, received, worthy, whole, sacred and complete. And that's the message that Jesus was trying to give us time and time again when he came and when he specifically came to the kinds of people that he came. He came to all of us. He's up close and, and personal and his love is so great. God has never been an enemy of humanity God has been leading us to understand and experience that he is good and he is with us no matter what. And Jesus is the pinnacle of this revelation and he went all the way to the cross in the ultimate act of compassion to convince once and for all that he's not angry, that he's love. But sin tells us shouts at us that God is full of judgment and we're destined to suffer his wrath. But the whole chapter of Romans 8 preaches something very different. It teaches that Jesus came to show the real face of God and that face is a God of love and power. That love is the most powerful force on the planet. It changes people. It's active. It's working on our behalf, even when we pit ourselves against God or believe we're separate from him. Romans 5.8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If God was angry or our enemy, he would have waited to demonstrate his extravagant love for us, but he didn't because it's just not true. God has no human enemies. He's not against you. He is for you. He's not mad at you. He's not even perpetually disappointed in you. He just wants to come close to you and he wants to transform and liberate you. So why did Jesus come? He didn't come to change God's mind about our humanity. He came to change our mind about who God actually is. Do you understand what God wants to do in your life, but not only your life, but the lives of your friends, your family? Do you understand how the Holy Spirit's working at the moment? Because I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit's working in exactly the same way that God the Father and Jesus have worked. And that is is that they come up close and personal to every single person on the planet. And they're trying. They're trying to show grace and they're trying to show love and they're trying to reveal themselves to people over and over again. God wants to liberate us. He's fighting for us. In um, Romans seven fifteen to 20, it says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my s- sinful nature." For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that, occurs, that does it. See, depravity occurs when our operating system, our flesh has been taken over by a foreign power, a virus that has corrupted our core. And cancer, again, I think is the best illustration I can think of. Cancer distorts our own cells to fight against us. It embeds itself into our operating systems in order to kill us. And this is what sin does it distorts and embeds, convincing us we are the disease. And the result is killing and stealing and destroying of ourselves and our place in this world. That's what Matthew teaches. You know, if you talk to an addict or if you talk to somebody in a prison or a mum who simply doesn't know how to be a parent or someone who perpetually steals, there will come a point where they say, this passage in Romans, this is how it feels. It feels like there's sin in me and I just can't control it. I just don't know how to, how to get rid of it. I don't know how to change And this is what God wants to do. This is why he came up close, personal and present. Because he's not put off by sin. He actually wants to come and fight it. In a sense, he wants to be the chemotherapy or he wants to be the miracle. Because unlike our world who doesn't, don't believe that people can change, if we, if we truly believe that people could change, we wouldn't be handing out as much medication as what we are. If we really, really believed that people could change, that they could be free, that they could be good, we wouldn't be treating people the way that we are treating people. And this is what Jesus has come, because he's come to say, I want to liberate you. I want to set you free from that. Because my love is the transformational power that can liberate and change all of that stuff. So our salvation is a restoration operation. We're saved by the powerful love of Jesus that will liberate us to the core from this virus of sin. And the spirit of Jesus is our treatment plan for the cancer of sin. Who made us? God did. How did he make us? He made us good. And that is the gospel truth. Jesus came to liberate us from this disease. And when you understand this, when you truly understand this, you begin to see God very differently. You begin to see God as this God who has this enormous love for you and who is not put off by anything, who can actually belly laugh at some of the mistakes that you make and some of the failures that you do and and can kind of come along and say, hey, I can help you with that. We can walk in a different direction. You see this God as this God with this incredible heart for you. And so it means that you don't have to hide anything anymore. You can just come and be yourself with God. And somehow in that relationship of safety and vulnerability, you begin to change, begin to have conversations. I have this problem. I get a bit snarky here and God says, oh, that's okay. Stay with me and I'll teach you how. But it also means that we see other people differently. We don't see them as the drug dealer or the murderer or the thief or the whatever label you want to put on them. We see them as a child of God and underneath all those layers of sin is someone good who's made in the image of God, a child of God and so then it means that we can go up and we can have conversations with anyone and everyone but not only that if we believe that the Holy Spirit is acting exactly the same way that Jesus acted or the same way that God the Father acted on planet earth you know what we're expecting that every single person every single day that God is actually talking to means that we can take Jesus at his word and stop calling him a liar because the church calls Jesus a liar all the time. Whenever we say that person's not interested in God, that person's hardened to God, that person doesn't want anything to do with God. Australians just aren't interested in spiritual things. We make, we are, when we use that language, we are saying, Jesus, you are a liar because Jesus said the harvest was plentiful. The problem was There weren't enough people who believed what he actually said which was that he loved people so much that he was going to be up close, front and personal and in their face. Some of you think that Tim has this amazing gift and he he is really good at at just going up to strangers. I watched it on Chris's funeral on uh, Wednesday where, you know, he just had conversation after conversation, spiritual conversations with people. And most people in that room would say, that person's not interested in spirituality, that person's not interested in spirituality. And Tim had spiritual conversations and he came away. They're spiritually hungry, they're spiritually open. Why? Because he believes, he takes Jesus at face value and believes what Jesus is actually saying. The harvest is plentiful. People are open. The Holy Spirit is talking to people every single day. The Holy Spirit is interested. The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is extending grace. The Holy Spirit is is loving people. He takes Tim takes that at face value and then all of a sudden all these conversations erupt. But this idea, this concept that we are separated from God by our sin I think has stopped us from being confident and believing that God is loving everyone, everywhere, everywhere we go. And I think it also stops us from believing that he loves me every day, everywhere I go and how I am. He loves everyone, everywhere, and wants to show up for everyone, everywhere. And it is the only power I know that will change anything on this planet it's the only thing that's going to change our girls on the friday night it's the only thing that's going to change our youth it's the only thing that's going to change our famine crisis it's the only thing that's going to change the war in the ukraine it's the only power i know that will change anything because only jesus's love has the power to transform and change the cancer called sin on the inside of us and that love wants to be up close and personal We're going to close with a song. I'm not sure which song it is. But as we sing this song, I want you to believe that as you leave today, that the Holy Spirit's with you, that he's wanting to minister to you, he's wanting to redeem you, he's wanting to change you, but also those people in your world, those people in your life, he's also up close and present with them as well. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message and that it's had great impact on you. If you want prayer, would like to connect with us further, or you just have questions, we would love to chat. You can find us at www.taroscommunitychurch.com.au or you can find us on Facebook. Have a great week.